You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. Better Perspectives. This is, this is part five of Better Perspectives. And we've been, we've been on this series um, and we're talking about perspectives because perspectives that we've shared is not really what you see. Perspectives, a perspective is how you see it. So when, when, when you get a better perspective about something, it doesn't mean that you have a new scenario. It doesn't mean that you get a new circumstance. It doesn't mean that you're facing uh, um, life uh, different. A lot, there's different things that you're facing. You're facing the same thing. You're in the same marriage. You're in the same job. You're working with the same boss. But God can give you a new perspective that allows you to see it differently, enjoy it, find joy in it, but also walk in it with faith so that you can make it through the other side. If it is a difficulty, if it is a difficult circumstances. You know, sometimes God will remove the mountain, but most times he's going to give you the faith and the strength to climb that mountain and get to the other side. So that's why perspectives are important. And today, I want to title this message, The Divine Call. Because a lot of us, uh, uh, whether we're Christians or spiritual but not religious, whether we are uh, agnostics, we have a tendency to have the wrong perspective when it comes to our relationship with God. Because of many reasons. But we have a tendency to apply our secular, our corporate, our earthly, our material view and apply that to our relationship with God. And it doesn't work. So I want to unpack that idea a little bit with you today. I want you to think of a public figure, a wealthy public figure that you do not know personally, but that you know their name, you know how much money they have, you have no idea what it is like to have that much money, but I want you to think about that public figure that you admire. It could be Oprah, it could be Jeff Bezos, it could be Bieber, it could be Kanye, it could be anybody. And I want you to think, what if that person had a genie moment, okay? And they met you, and they said, John, Mary, Leonel. I was thinking of, you know, different names. Ramundo. I will grant you one wish. I will give you anything you want right now, today. I'm going to be your friend just for today. And I'm going to give you anything. You, you have one wish. What would you ask for? What would you ask? Would you ask for a house? Would you ask for a comfortable retirement? Would you ask for a scholarship so you could go to school forever? Would you ask for a voucher to travel the world? Maybe your own ship? What would you ask for? Now I want you to change the scenario. Forget the wealthy person. I want you to think of a loved one that you've lost. Someone that you love dearly who's no longer with you. And if you were able to cross the veil into eternity and talk to them, 
one, once more. And they had the ability to grant you one wish. Somehow they had eternal powers. And they could go, because you're in beyond the veil, what, what would you ask? Would you ask for more time with them? Would you ask for the opportunity to have that conversation that you didn't have a chance to have? Would you ask to get a daily hug from them? To be able to just hear one word from them every day? Or would you ask for a house? Scholarships. A chance to travel around the world. The scenario changes, right? It's not the same. Because the depth of intimacy and affection that you have with someone will determine the kind of needs and desires that that person can meet. You're not going to ask Jeff Bezos to call you every day. Maybe you will for stock tips. But that'd be weird. Hey, can you call me on my birthday? Like, but if, somebody, if it's somebody you love that you miss, It'd be weird for you to ask them for a house, wouldn't it? Because it's so, it's so not as valuable as them in your life. And I don't know if you've experienced this. I know I have experienced this. My wife and I have experienced this. If you have, a, have somebody that you love, whether it's a, it's a, it's a spouse or, or it is a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a brother, a sister, a mom, or a, a, a daughter, a son... And you travel with them. You go, you go out of town. Or you go for some day, day that is packed with activities. And you guys go out and you have one thing after another, after another, after another that you're doing. You have a day full of activities. That, or maybe a week full of activities. There will come a point where when you're with that person that you will be done with the activities. And you'll be like, just, let's just hang out. Let's just stop with everything. And can we just sit down? Grab a cup of coffee or tea, maybe a little vino, and just chat. I just want to be with you. Have you ever had one moment like that? Lee and I have had moments where we're just going, 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 going. We're like, let's just stop. I just want to be with you. Like, I just want to, let's just hang out. Let's just sit and chat. Why? Because the depth of intimacy and affection that you have with someone will determine what the kinds of needs and desires that they can meet. And the more intimate you are with somebody, the more close you are with somebody, the deeper the connection, the deeper the, 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 the contact. So they can fulfill things, and they can, they can enter spaces in your heart that other people can't. Even people with means, even people who have resources, even people who have access, they don't have access to you. And the same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. When we open our hearts and our spiritual eyes to the existence of God, we see them as we see him or her, <laughs> we see God, <laughs> it's, it's a father, <laughs> as an almighty creator. Right? When it's your first time, you don't know anything about God. You don't know if, what God is. But every, all of a sudden, you open your eyes. And you see God as almighty creator. Because, now because of our scientific mind and because of 
the argument of God is typically connected to the cosmos and the stars and the planets and life on earth and all of that. It leads us to recognize and admit that there's some intelligent, powerful force that created it all. Centuries ago, we didn't have that knowledge. But now you can get a telescope. You can go online. You know so many stars and so many things are out there. So in your mind, you're like, somebody had to. There's got to be an intelligent force that put it all together. But that's a distant, even cold view of God. It's a reluctant view of God. It's more really of an opinion. It's more of a deduction than it is belief. It's not even belief. You might ask some people, do you believe in God? And they'll say, yeah, I think that something put this whole thing together. That's not really belief though, right? Is it? Because that person doesn't live as though God exists. God is this distant thing out there. There's no relationship. And here lies the problem that so many of us have in our world today. So many of us relate to God like he's Jeff Bezos. Some powerful force that has influence over the world. And if you don't know who Jeff Bezos is, he's the founder in, in, of Amazon. So, right? But most of us would have admiration for him, for his accomplishments, just like God. And you might, have take, you might take issue with what happens to some of his people. But overall, we're all going to go and request some of the things that he can offer. We're all going to go to Amazon.com and expect that package in the mail. We're all going to go and pray and hope that God will give us what we're asking for. Now, while the recognition of God and His greatness is important, if we go through the Scriptures and we look at people who have had a relationship with God, we will understand that all of them point to one thing, a relationship with God that is close and intimate. You look at Enoch. People talks about, uh, uh, the Bible talks about Enoch as somebody who walked so closely with God that God just took him. He just took him one day. Enoch is the guy in the Bible that never experienced death. Abraham was called the friend of God. David was called the man after God's own heart. And Jesus himself said, that He wants us to be with Him, united with Him, as He is united with the Father. He and the Father, us and Him, all together in intimacy, connected. Now the sad reality is that many people, including Christians, have not made the transition from seeing and relating to God as the almighty powerful God that's up in the sky somewhere to the Father and friend that He is, closer than a brother. And I want to show you today how to get there, how to grow in your relationship with God, how to pursue God for who He is, because that's what we ought to do. We ought to pursue God for who He is. We have to spend time with God, not for what He can offer us, because He will offer it. He's a loving God, but because of who He is. That should be our pursuit. That's when we discover, unbeknownst to us, that that's what we have been looking for all along. That's what we want. A relationship with God. See, when God rescued the people of Israel out of Egypt, we learn in the scriptures that he asked Moses 
And he gave Moses the following instructions. We can go to Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 through 8. We're going to read. It says this. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him, hearts move him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twinned linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood. Imagine making that list. Oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the effort and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God was looking for willing hearts who wanted to give him an offering. Who wanted to, to make some of their items available. So that with that offering, they can build him a sanctuary. Now why did God ask for an offering? Why did he ask something from them? Why did he ask people to sacrifice? Why did he ask people to give? The answer is simple. It's right there in the text. So that I may dwell in their midst. God wanted a relationship. God's goal all along when he asks us to give him an offering is that we may have a relationship with him. Always. That's what he wants. Now, in general, when people hear about offerings in church or tithes and offerings or things like that, there's, there's an overture that you hear in culture. Church is after my? Nice guy. All the church wants is my? All the church wants is my money. That's a very shallow analysis. It really is. Because churches don't really have a fee. Churches don't have a membership cost. It doesn't really have, they don't have that. And for those who believe in the Bible, if you believe that the Bible is the word of God, right? If you believe that it's inspired and that God uses prophets and his people to communicate to us through these ancient, ancient writings. Then it's not the church that is asking for the money. It is God that instructs us to bring gifts to his house. So, they have to, so then you have to choose who you will serve. Right? Are we going to serve what we have? Or are we going to serve God? And Jesus himself said, you can't serve God and money. Now I know I'm talking about something here. And I'm going to go back to the main sense. But this is important because it, it ties in with, with intimacy with God. But the reality is that this, this argument that the church wants your money. It's more revealing to the person in the culture making the argument than it does about the church because what what gets people offended about this about the biblical teaching of tithes and offerings is really what 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 they're saying really is money is the most important thing i have money is what i serve money is what i go to work for money is what i live for and i'm not willing to give that up for anything so that's what the church wants too, because I'm looking at the church through the lenses of my own values. And therefore, I'm ascribing to them what's really in my heart. And many people 
They get to this very point, and they stop. And money is just an example. It could be time. It could be a lot of other things that God asks of us. They don't bring their gold to God. They don't bring their silver. They don't bring their bronze. The only thing that they are giving up is what they think about. All they think about is what they're going to give up when God is asking of them. They are not thinking about what they are to gain. Because God doesn't want your money. God doesn't want our money. He wants a relationship with us. And the question is, are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to give in order that he may be number one? But I don't want to get ahead of myself. So they built a tabernacle. They built the house of God. And there's details in the story. You can go through it. It's, there's a lot to speak on this. I don't want to. I'm just going to give you the highlights, okay? This tabernacle had three courts, three parts. The outer courts where everybody was welcome. The holy place where the priests would go into. And the holy of holies. The holy place and the holy of holies was inside the, 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 uh, the sanctuary. And, and, and the holies of holies is where the ark of the covenant was. Where the presence of God dwelled. And this is how the writer of Hebrews kind of explains it. Uh, Hebrews 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Here we go. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. So that's how the temple was set up. This is how the way it was in the days of Moses. But this was a picture. It was a picture for you and I. It was a shadow. It wasn't just a, a, a scenario, a story from days of old. This is, this is a shadow that Paul writes for our own relationship with God. It's an example. It's a map for your relationship with God and my relationship with God. Look at what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let me give you two more scriptures just to give you context, and then we're going to talk more about this. First Peter uh, 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, talking about Jesus, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as what? A spiritual house to be holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It was a picture. What is the scripture saying now? We are that temple. We are that place where God ought to resign in, reside in. We are the dwelling place of God. Revelations chapter 21 verse 3 says this. And I heard a loud voice. This is John in his vision. From the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is mankind. This is everybody, not a man, man. This is for everybody, men and women. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. God's goal has always been a relationship. Always. And the sanctuary and the temple in the Old Testament is a representation of something for you and I today. It's not simply a physical structure, as I said. It's a map, the way to God. So Jesus came, and he modeled it. He showed us. How to do this. He made the way. 
Now, you may ask, why, why does that matter, J.D.? And what does it have to do with me? And I'm glad you asked that. That's a really good question. That is so smart. See, anyone who has accepted the existence of God, and you, have, you may have friends, co-workers, people that you know, that will, they, they'll give that to you. They'll say, yeah, I think there's a God. Anyone that has opened their hearts and their minds to the existence of God, if they were to take the next step beyond just being aware, beyond just, just accepting toward a relationship with God, the first step would be this, revelation. That's the first step. See, a lot of people say they believe in God. But what they mean is that they concluded that there is a God. They don't really believe in God. So it doesn't mean that they have seen God in any way in their lives. It doesn't mean that God has manifested himself in their lives. It just means that that person thinks that there's a God. And that person can read. That person can study. That person can go to school as much as they want and learn about God. It will not aid in their experience with God. One bit. Unless something happens. Unless their hearts open. Unless they put themselves in a posture, in a position, open enough to realize, wait a minute, God is here. It's not just that God exists, God is here. That awareness is that revelation we're talking about. I don't know what it is, but God is here. I don't know how, I can't explain it, but I sense, I know that God is here. And that's likely what brought you here this morning. That's likely what caused you to watch and tune in or listen to our podcast. Because you've had some experience in your life. You've had some kind of prayer, some kind of moment, some kind of conversation, some kind of friend, some kind of relationship that caused you to realize, oh my goodness, God is here. God is in my life. He's present. I couldn't have made that happen. I couldn't have done that on my own. That person is not wise enough to know what's going on with me and just say, read my mail. God is here. And at that moment, the existence of God is not just a plausible argument. That person has moved from the existence of a God is a plausible argument, and I'll give you that too. Whoa, God is here. He is present. That's when God shows himself to you. And all of a sudden, you're aware. That's revelation. But revelation, although amazing, revelation, although really important, and even overwhelming at times, it is not intimacy. Revelation of God is not intimacy. Revelation is a glimpse. It happens in moments. You have a revelation. It changes your life. It changes your mind. It even changes your belief system. Now you know that God exists. You have a revelation of His existence. But you will still face sadness. You still face doubt. You still face sorrow. And things like that in moments where you feel all alone like God is not there. And you have this dichotomy of, I believe in God. I know He exists, but He's not here with me in this moment. I know that He's here, but He's not here. 
He's here in this, in this place. He's in the world. He, he made all things. He's, all, he's great, but he's not in my heart right now. He's not navigating this situation with me. See, that's the outer courts. That's when you cross the gate into the outer courts of the temple. You're not outside. You're inside, but you're in the outer courts. You haven't made your way to the holy or holy of holies yet. You see the smoke. You see God is there. He's here in this place, but he's not in my heart. And some people stay here. This is their entire experience with God. This is how they relate to God. And, 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 and we are invited to take the next step. But some people just stay stuck here because the next step is painful. The next step hurts. The next step is when God deals with you. It's when he comes into your life. And he says, you are clay and I'm the potter. And if you want to have intimacy with me, I'm going to have to break you. I'm going to have to reshape you. And restore you to the way that I intended for you to be. Not the way the world has turned you into. The next step requires relinquishment. Renunciation. See, those who come to God are never the same. But to never be the same means you have to let go of who you are. And some of us, we don't want to let go of who we are. So we stay the same. But you can't see God and be the same. So you have a choice to make. Do you take the next step? And here's the next step. Crucifixion. Yeah. Got to go to the cross. You got to die. I know it's barbaric. It's gruesome. We live in an age of affirmation, adoration, self-love, self-care. But Christ's invitation is not to the podium of self-approval, but it's to the altar of sacrifice. He's calling us to sacrifice. He doesn't call us to sacrifice the things that we hate about ourselves. For those things we offer freely. He calls us to sacrifice our whole self. Everything. He calls us to bring things that we prize the most to His altar. He calls us to bring the gold and the silver. To bring Him our treasures. That means you're not just bringing what you value. You're bringing your very sense of value. You're not just bringing the things you like. You're bringing your actual preferences. Because He's going to tweak that. You're not just bringing... The things that you love about yourselves. But you bring the love of self itself. That's what you bring to the altar. See, this is what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the invitation. The invitation is repent. Come, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Crucifixion is the next step. This is not a fun stage. But this is a stage 
in your faith when God is calling you to Himself. Remember, it's not about the sacrifice. It's about a relationship with Him. But oh, your flesh will fight. Your flesh will fight to stay alive and your flesh is resilient. It wants to stay alive. It wants to survive. That godless part of you, it wants to stay alive. That sinful part of you, it wants to exist. That part of you that wants to cling to that bad habit will fight to the death. The parts of you that want that addiction will fight to the death. The parts of you that want the porn, that want the drugs, that want the drunkenness, that want the, the sex with multiple partners, that part of you that wants greed, that wants money, that wants status, that part of you wants to stay alive. The part of you that wants you to be better than others, that wants you to compete with your siblings and your cousins and, and your, your co-workers, it wants to stay alive. Those parts of you will fight the hardest because they do not want to die. But remember, to never be the same means you let, have to let go of who you are. you got to let go. And crucifixion means death to the earthly self. It means to abdicate your earthly, material, and temporal identity. You know what your earthly, material, temporal identity does? It makes you concerned about the things of this world. So you are trapped in time. You never have enough time. You're trapped in want. You never have enough. You're trapped in greed. You want more money. You're trapped in everything that is material because you see that life is going to end and you don't have enough time to be all that you can be, to gather all that you can gather. And there is a life of anxiety that will never have end because nothing will ever be enough. God is calling us to abdicate of all that. But he's not asking us to do that for nothing. Because after the cross comes a third stage. And that's the best stage. That's the resurrection. What Christ experienced was a model for every single one of us. Resurrection. Remember, God doesn't ask us to sacrifice what you love to leave you empty. He doesn't ask you to sacrifice what you love so that he can, uh, everything you love so that he will leave you empty. No. He fills that space with himself. He fills up that space with himself. The love of things have to die so that God himself can live in us. The bad habit has to die so God can replace, him with his, replace it with his life. Rage has to die so that God can fill you with his love. And our earthly, material, temporal identity has to die. The idea of, I don't have enough time, I need more things, this is all there is, needs to die. So that you can receive a heavenly, spiritual, and eternal identity. That's when you enter the Holy of Holies. That's when you go into the presence of God. That's when you find true intimacy. That's when His presence is constant. Yes, you're going to go through sadness. Yes, you're going to go through sorrow. Yes, you're going to go through things. But He's not just out there anymore. He is in here. In your heart. He is close. He's with you. And you are no longer in the outer courts just aware of His presence. You are in the inner courts communing with Him. Receiving from Him. Having life and relating to Him. Jesus continued to his disciples. He said, for whoever will save his life will lose it. Have no doubt about it. 
You, if, you, if, if you don't come to the altar of sacrifice, you will lose your life. You'll get to the end of your life and say, and, and wonder, what was that all for? But the promise is this, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What you are looking for is on the other side of the cross. It's in the resurrection. Now let me ask you, in which stage are you? In which stage are you? I'll give you good spiritual food today. The whole point of this, this whole thing is not to help you be nice. It's not to help you overcome your addictions, your hang-ups, or better yourself. That's good. That's not the point. That will happen, but that's not the point. Do you know why self-help is so prevalent today? Because people who have not had the revelation of God and have not understood that the flesh needs, uh, the flesh doesn't need healing because it cannot be healed. Those people want the flesh to survive. They want to care for it. They want to go back to the outer courts. Flesh doesn't need healing. It can't be healed. It needs to die. It needs the cross. And some of you, you've been fighting to keep the, the, the flesh alive. You really have. You've been struggling to keep the flesh alive. And you've seen Christians that have grown in their faith so fast. People praying with authority, full of faith, facing all the difficulties. And you're wondering, God, why am I not there? It's happening to me. Why can't I sense you like them? Like, why can't I see you like them? And here's the answer. Do you need to understand something? Your flesh is resilient. It doesn't want to let go. Some Bible scholars will say that Jesus died really fast on the cross. Faster than most. It was common for them to have to break people's legs so that, so that they would hang on the cross and suffocate. Because people would prop themselves up to, to breathe. And the soldiers were like, all right, we're done with this. I'm not going to wait for you to die. So they would break their legs so that people would suffocate and finally die. Because they were fighting to stay alive. And some people say that Jesus died quicker because he was fragile, because he was weak, because he was beaten, because he was, everything indicates really, if you read the scriptures, everything indicates in the historicity of it that Jesus was actually a strong man. He worked with his hands. He wasn't physically weak, but here's what I believe. I believe that he died quicker than most because he died willingly. He knew that he was supposed to die. So he didn't fight. He didn't fight his death. He welcomed it. He knew that that was his purpose. So what did he say? He surrendered. In your hands, I deliver my spirit. It is finished. And can we do that? See, the problem is that many of us have not surrendered because we have not realized what awaits us on the other side. We have not realized that resurrection is on the other side. So you keep trying to get back to the revelation stage. God is calling you to the cross and you want to go back to the revelation stage. You want to regain that sense of awe. You want to regain that sense of, of awesomeness that you once had. You want to reconnect to the sense of amazement. But you were far from God then. 
You weren't intimate with God then. You had nice feelings about God. You were aware of His presence, but you were not in His presence. And you need to know this about God. God doesn't want to impress you. He's not in the business of impressing you with magic tricks. He wants to embrace you. He wants to be close to you. God doesn't want you to be amazed at how awesome He is. He wants to share His life and who He is with you. So He's inviting you into His presence. My question to you is, will you surrender? Those of you watching online, will you surrender today, right now? Will you begin that journey today and ask God, take it all. In your hands I commit my spirit. I commit my life to you. The good, the bad, the ugly, what I hate, what I love, it's all. It's all yours. If you do that, this is what I believe. You will rise again as a new creation. Someone who knows God intimately. And God will use you to show his light in this dark world. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Amen. Let me call the worship team.